Do you like to hear about embarrassing situations? Yeah. Let me tell you a good one. As you know, I'm teaching the Wednesday night session for the three Wednesday evenings. The first Wednesday evening went great. Last Wednesday, I was seated in my living room watching the evening news. The phone rang. A voice said, where are you? And I said, I'm at home. Well, your class is sitting here waiting for you. We don't come to the Wednesday nighter because Carlene has to go to Kingsport that night for choir rehearsal at the Presbyterian Church where she's organist. We have about 30 minute window where we can have supper together. And so on the first night, I called the church to be sure when the program began, 6.30. Somehow in my mind, I got that it was 7.30. So I was waiting for 6.45 to come to drive down to the church. And for 15 minutes, everyone had been waiting for me to come. Dr. Soka came to my rescue. He sat at the piano and everybody sang. You can be assured I'll be there on time this Wednesday night. <laughs> You sure you're in the right class? <laughs> well, John has had an experience in which he went into a trance and sensed that he was in heaven. This is where we left him last week. He had discovered an open doorway. And a voice had said to him, come on up. We will reveal to you the things that are to come. And with that invitation, he went and found himself in the throne room. He described it last week, God, high and mighty, seated upon the throne, the majestic colors all about, the precious stones that described all of the things that were about him sitting on the throne, the 24 elders, the candelabra, the four living creatures, all of this he discussed in detail. Today in chapter 5, his vision begins to unfold further. He looks to God seated upon the throne and discovers that in his right hand there is a scroll the scroll is written both inside and out. And there are seven seals that hold the scroll secure. And as he stands there looking at God, holding the scroll, an angel speaks with a loud voice. Is there anyone worthy enough to break the seal on the scroll? And there was silence everywhere. 
John sensed immediately that the scroll that would reveal to him all of the things that were to come could not be opened because there was no one worthy enough to break the seal. John described it, no one in heaven, no one on earth, no one beneath the earth was capable of breaking the seal. And he cried, he wept in disappointment. One of the elders approached him and said, don't weep. There is one here who is worthy enough to break the seal and open the scroll. He is the one that Israel has awaited, the line of Judah, the root of Jesse, that powerful person for whom Israel has awaited throughout all the centuries. He is here and he is worthy. John looked up. There was no lion there. The root of Jesse was not detectable. What he saw was a lamb that was wounded, a lamb that had been slaughtered. And the lamb rose up, went to the one who sat upon the throne, and took the scroll. As he did, all of the multitudes, John said, in the millions, cried out in a loud voice, Blessed is he, the Lamb slain for the sins of the world. And all of heaven broke out into song as the Lamb received the scroll to open before the assemblies. This is the way that John described the event that took place. Our lesson writer sensed that there were four things revealed in this tableau that took place. The first of these was a realization that God, who had been represented in all of his power, the power of all the universe, power beyond description, when he came to earth to redeem humanity, he did not come as a great warrior showing his strength. He did not come with great miracles of creation to show that he was in charge of the world. Rather, he came in humility. He represented the power of humility coming as a little baby. He came as a child so that he could become acquainted with the ways of humanity. If he were to redeem humanity, he needed to know what needed to be redeemed, where the weaknesses of humanity was. He was God, not human. This was an opportunity for him to discover himself the essence of humanity. And so in all of his wisdom, in all of his power, he came to earth as a little baby, came through childhood into adulthood, learned how to make a living for himself as all others did about him. When he became to full maturity, having explored, ascertained, and discovered everything that humanity is about, then he was able to take on the Godhead, reveal the truths of heaven, and eventually offer himself in the way in which he did for complete redemption. 
second thing that our lesson writer pointed out was the fact that although he had the image of the Lion of Judah, the one of great strength, power, the king of the jungle, there was no power equal to the power of the slaughter of the lamb. That's at the heart of the celebration of the Hebrew nation as they were released from Egypt and they came out into the promised land. One of the things that they were told to do, never forget where you have been so that you can always appreciate where you are and where you're going. And in order to do that, you are to observe the Passover. Our lesson writer said that the Samaritans still celebrate Passover the way they did when they first came into the Promised Land. Jews themselves have refined Passover. They have added to, taken away. The celebration is still there, but the prayers are different. The process is different. But he said that the Samaritans still practice Passover just the way they did when they came out of Egypt. And he himself had attended one of their Passovers. And he described how the lambs were brought together and how the throats were slit and the blood was everywhere. Putting into their minds sharply, this is the blood of the lamb, so that they could imprint that upon their lives, the lamb of God in whose blood we are reconciled to God. It's a powerful image, the image of the lamb. The image of the lion represents the power of the world. The image of the lamb represented the power of sacrifice and love and humility. The third thing that our lesson writer pointed out from this tableau was the fact that he was worthy to break the seal because he had died. That was the one thing that set him apart from all the others. He had voluntarily died in order to bring about the reconciliation. It was the death of the Lamb that had enabled God to come to this point in time. Now, as I have said to you, so many times, we can't understand the miracle and the mystery as to how the death of a man could bring about reconciliation to God. We only know that Paul said it does. The lesson, the gospel writers said that it did. We believe it without understanding how, just knowing that Christ, having died on the cross and have risen from the dead, through that we have our sins forgiven in spite of the fact that we are unworthy. We are justified through our faith in this event. Now, there are three classic ways in which theologians have tried to determine what took place in that sacrifice. Martin Luther agreed with some of the early church fathers to say that Satan had the world in his grasp. He had taken over the hearts of mankind through sin. And God could not break into the hearts of mankind because of the sin which shackled us all to Satan. God entered into a pact with Satan. 
I'll give you my son as a ransom for all of humanity. Satan cherished the Son of God to such an extent that he was willing to release his hold on all humanity in order to have a hold on God's own Son. And so he paid our ransom by dying and then by his resurrection broke the bonds that held him to Satan. Having borne our sins, he was bound to Satan but through the power of his resurrection broke his bonds to Satan and we were all free. Now we were reconciled to God. All we had to do was to accept it. That's the theory of ransom held by Martin Luther and many of the early church fathers. John Calvin saw it differently. He said that man is depraved from the very beginning. At the moment of our birth, we're depraved. We are so steeped in sin that we can't even recognize God. And in our depravity, we can't approach God, and God can't approach us. But in the perfection of his son, who was without sin, who could connect with us because he was human, such as we, that he could allow himself to be sacrificed on our behalf. He could approach God on our behalf, and he could bear our sins on the cross, not breaking the bonds from Satan, simply bearing our sins in which we were encompassed. And by his sacrificing as a lamb would be at Passover, then God accepted his sacrifice as freedom for us all, and then we were reconciled to him, justified by faith. This was... John Calvin, along with many other church fathers. These are the two classic understandings by theologians, but there's a third one that has come of more recent vintage. Some of the theologians, such as Schleimacher and of later times, have affirmed that what happened at Calvary was the fact that God was able to show his love. There was nothing about a ransom from Satan there was nothing about our inability to face God because of our unworthiness, but simply because God was reaching out in his love. We were immune to his love and would not respond to it. Until he graphically showed that love, he was willing to make the greatest sacrifice that anyone could make, and that is to allow his own son to suffer on behalf of someone else. And out of his love, then we are reconciled to him. I think the pain that we have witnessed this past week in parents who have lost sons and daughters can sense something of the pain that comes from losing a child. I don't think there's, there's anything in life that could be more painful, more graphic in pain than to lose a child. And God willingly allowed his son to die painfully for others. But it was because Christ was willing to do so that was the real compact. As he faced death himself, knowing the reality of the pain and the suffering, there was a hesitation on his part. Can reconciliation come some other way? 
If so, spare me this pain, knowing full well what awaited him, knowing that there was no other way than he said, but your will, not mine. Jesus said, I willingly lay down my life. It is not taken from me. It is Christ's willingness, God's love, brought together in that moment of time then that made him worthy to break the seal, that made him worthy to bring reconciliation to all of humanity. Another lesson that our lesson writer brought out was the fact that there needs to be someone to hear when God speaks. That God could perform miracles today in many ways if there were those who were willing to listen. But God does not have attentive ears to carry out his will in the way that he would like for us to do so. It was Jesus who heard and acted, setting the example for all of humanity, redeemed to God to listen and to act. And our writer infers that the world could be changed radically if only we were more attentive to listening to God's will for our lives as Christ listened in his own sense. The final thing that our lesson writer brought out that is to be learned from this tableau is the fact that all of the heavenly hosts, the angels, the elders, they all cried out, all nations, all races, all languages, all people. The inclusiveness of heaven. We tend to be exclusive. Even within the Christian community, there are segments of us who say, we are right and everybody else is wrong. We as a language, bound together by language, celebrate through our language a religion that is held only by us. And those who speak languages other than our own are not of those who are the elect. There are those of different nationalities, different from ourselves. We tend to equate Christianity with the Western world without opening our eyes and ears to the fact that God's reconciliation is for all humanity. When Christ died, he died for all humanity. He was claimed by the Hebrews because he was the Messiah promised to them. Through them, God's will was to be hammered out on the anvil of experience so that the world could accept the Messiah. But they didn't accept him the Gentile world was open to him. But we of the Gentile world try to be exclusive too in so many ways. We need to take Christ, reveal him to those who don't know him because he is the one through whom reconciliation has come. Heaven is not made up of Hebrews alone. Heaven is not made up of Christians alone. John says in Revelation, all nations, all races, all languages, all people surround the throne, singing praises to the one who sits upon the throne. Now, the Lamb has taken the scroll. The seals are about to be broken. And like the old serials on Saturday afternoon of yore, 
We'll see what happens next week. <laughs> You're being kind. You know how hard you know how hard this is for me. <laughs> Any comments or questions? last week. <laughs> this is what we believed all the time. John Wesley said that everyone is born with original sin. The, the Catholic Church baptized infants to be rid of that original sin. John Wesley said God loves infants. He gives them prevenient grace until they are old enough to make a decision for themselves, they are protected by prevenient grace. That means if they die, they die in the full grace of God's love. And this is what Benedict is saying. They don't have to be baptized to be rid. God's grace protects children, just as we have said. Now, original sin is a theological position that we inherit the sin of Adam. Not all theologians believe in original sin but all believe that in a short time we all are sinners so whether you inherit it or whether by your action you're soon a sinner and only the grace of God can absolve you of that sin that's what I fear must be happening as you, as you become more independent you take on the, the original sin yourselves mm -hmm. so it's a terrible thing uh, uh Jonathan Edwards, that great uh, Congregationist preacher of early America, we talked about him on Wednesday night for those who might have been there. One of his famous sermons was infants being held over the pit of hell. If they're not baptized, there's no hope for them. Terrible, terrible image. But uh, most everybody now that Pope Benedict has seen the light most everybody believes that God has a special grace for children who have not yet accepted his saving grace. This is prevenient grace as opposed to saving grace. Any other comment or question? Where does our great leader hide? He's here somewhere. There you are. 